morning. Good morning. My name is Cassie Coleman. Um, I've been a believer for as long as I can remember, and today's scripture reading is Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, he, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his faith face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your or yeah, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, He won't call me to account? But but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the, of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Thanks, Cassidy. Appreciate that. So what you just heard is a lament. 65 of the 150 psalms that we have in Scripture, it's about 43% of the psalms are what is known as lament. And lament is something that we often do not talk about in church. And we'll get into maybe a couple of reasons, but we're going to talk about the importance of lament today. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. If you remember, if you were here last week, we began the series Hope in the Dark. And Habakkuk is found in some of the other what are known as minor prophets. There's major prophets and minor prophets, which has nothing to do with uh, their content of if you're a major, you have a better message, and a minor, you have a, a less important message. Rather, it's simply about the length of the book. And so Habakkuk is a three-chapter-long book that we are walking through the next number of weeks. And if you recall from last week, essentially it is set up in these three chapters as a complaint or a lament that begins, and then God answers. And then Habakkuk come back, comes back again with another complaint or a lament, and God answers. And then there is this prayer of trust and worship at the end that Habakkuk is like, okay, God, I don't get what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. And what the conversation unfolds is, is that Habakkuk is looking around, and he's looking at the people of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel, and he's saying, um, we're not following your instructions, God. There is all sorts of injustice and violence and how long is this going to happen? How long are you going to let this go on? And so God says, hey, I see you. I've got an answer. And in fact, I'm going to send your enemy, the Babylonians, in, and they're going to take care of the issue. Habakkuk is like, no, thank you. Try again. And he says, I can't believe you're going to use people that are more sinful than we are. He compares the two. And God says, I'm doing something. I'm working this out. Ultimately, you need to live by faith. You need to trust in me. And Habakkuk says, okay, I'll walk that way. This is the overview of 
this letter of Habakkuk. And we struggle with this concept, and, and as I said, some of this is going to be really sweet for you as you listen through the number of weeks. Of It's just going to touch different spots, and you're going to like, oh, yeah, I needed to hear that. But then there's going to be some bitterness, too, of why in the world would God choose to do this? And part of what we struggle with is, as Westerners, we have this concept that as time or life goes on, things need to improve. I mean, we, we talk about this, this progress we have in society. We should always be going this kind of up into the right uh, mentality. The further we get along, the, the more it should be up into the right. But we don't live like this. Our own lives are a little bit more like this next graph represented by this. Right? That is life. It is like going good. Oh, terrible. Oh, back to where I started moving forward. Oh, it's a mess again. It is this struggle. It's a hardship. Life looks like this when we feel or we have this false perception that it should just be up and to the right. So what in the world do we do with faith in light of hardship, pain, suffering, difficulty, questions in life? How do we see God in the middle of this? I mean, if God is good, how does he allow this? Why why does this unfold? And these are the questions that Habakkuk is wrestling with. They had just experienced about 30 years of renewal and revival, and and the kingdom was just thriving. And then a new leader comes in, and things fall apart, and and Habakkuk's praying. And if you read, this is not the first time he prayed. He has been praying and praying and praying out to God, saying, what is going on? So let's look at verse 2 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk. It says this. It says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. So he's been praying, he's been crying out. This isn't the, like, hey, I'm gonna say a quick prayer and God, if you don't answer this in the next hour, I'm upset type of thing. Rather, this is, he's been going at this for a while. I cry out or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. So there he is, he's saying, God, I've been praying and asking and seeking and, and God, there's, I'm telling you what's wrong. There's violence around us, there's injustice around us, but you don't save? I don't get this. God, sin is rampant, seeing this all around me. Lord, why do you not hear me? Verse three, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Again, he's saying we need intervention. God, you have to do something. The people need to repent. They need to be renewed. There there has to be this change around us. Like we, in our modern days, we look around and we can have these similar types of responses as we see terrorism and mass murder and slavery and human trafficking and physical and emotional and sexual abuse around us, racial and economic oppression, political unrest, spiritual deception, social disintegration. And we too, we say, God, why? How long? Why does it seem like you're okay with this, God? I mean, if you're good and loving, how does this happen? Verse four says, therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Here Habakkuk is saying, hey, God, what you instructed, the law, the guidelines for life, they're not working. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I mean, Habakkuk is saying, you gave your word in these guidelines and we're not following it, it's not working. Why? How long? 
And again, we in modern day society, 2023, can ask these same questions. Is, is like, this is supposed to be life. This is supposed to be a gift. If we follow this, then everything's going to be great. It's what we hear and we believe. But then when things are not great, when they're all swirly like that graph, are we comfortable saying these type of things to God? Are you comfortable with that? Have you thought about that? Have you prayed like this? God, how long? Do you not see what's going on in this family situation or what's going on in, in the school or, or what's going on in, in this friendship group or whatever it may be? God, do you not see what's happening? I want to point something out before we get too far is that in this first chapter, Habakkuk is looking at his own people. He's not looking at the sin outside of God's people. He's looking at his own sin and the sin of the people. And I once read that it, a mature follower of Jesus is more disturbed by sin inside the church and inside myself than outside of it. Because it's easy to point fingers of like, look at everyone else, look at what they're doing. I'm just gonna ignore my sin. I'm gonna ignore my own reality. I'm gonna point at them. But Habakkuk is starting himself. And it causes us to pause and ask the question, what about me? Do I look any different than the world around me? Do I grieve the sin that I just allow within me? Because so often we as followers of Christ can mirror the world around us. I mean, we're just as consumeristic as the world around us. We value our own self-expression, our hyper-individualism. The conversations we have, whether they're online or in person, is we can look just like the world. We fight back the same way. Habakkuk's like, what is going on? But Habakkuk wasn't alone in his lament, in his cries. Asaph, in Psalm 73, I want to read this. Is This is a psalm that I've shared with people who have come to me and just say, hey, listen, I am trying to follow Jesus. I am trying to do what is quote-unquote right. But I just keep falling again and again and again, and I look around at people around me who are not following Jesus, and it seems like they're doing all right. Is it worth following Jesus? And we look at this psalm, and I let them know that they're not alone. Asaph said, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. For their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care, and they go on amassing wealth. And so to answer that question, like the psalmist is asking, like the person who, the people who come and say, why does this happen? The answer is, I don't know. And I don't know why what's unfolded in your life has happened and it appears that others are well and whole. I don't know. But what do we do with that reality? I mean, we can become bitter. We can just push the side and, and justify ourselves. Or what if there is something that God has given to us, like lament, 
where we can be raw and honest and open in prayer. I mean, not only do we have it recorded in Scripture, we can be affirmed that God received it knowing that he replied to the complaint or the lament. God was willing to enter the conversation with Habakkuk. He didn't strike Habakkuk dead for saying those things. I mean, we have that fear of like, if I go before God, it's a lack of faith. Or I'm not really showing that I love God. If I really express what's on my heart, if I'm raw and honest, as if God doesn't already know what I'm processing. We pull back, but we see in scripture this conversation that unfolds. And we see other examples with Job and Jonah. Like I mentioned, 40 some percent of the Psalms are laments. Jeremiah, lamentations. David, a man after God's own heart, he said this. He said, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Like, this is so heavy. If you don't respond, God, I don't know if I can live. My enemy will say I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. This is words from a man after God's own heart. And what I think David is doing, like many others, is they are going for the heart of Jesus, the heart of God. They are attempting to connect, and God is welcoming that connection through lament. So what is lament? Well, lament is prayer or song or words spoken to persuade God, to ask God to act on the behalf of those who suffer. It's rooted in this sense of divine justice, that, that God is just and that God is good and he desires good. It is reliance on God for divine help and deliverance. And what it's based on is God's character his love, his mercy, and again, his justice. Lament is not confession of sin. You can confess sin, but lament is pouring out the heartache. It is saying, this is what I'm seeing. This is the reality. God, help as only you can. It involves feelings, but it's not consumed by feelings. Because it takes what we're feeling and experiencing and it's saying, this is who you are, God, and I trust you in it. Because what lament does is it resolves in a radical commitment of faith and trust. Here's everything. It's like this, um, excuse the image here. It's like vomiting everything up that you're just keeping in and you're seeing and experiencing and saying, this is the mess. But God, I trust you. So why do we hesitate to lament? Why do we not talk about lament? Why do we steer away from lament? Well, as I already mentioned, maybe it's because we feel like it's a lack of faith if we speak openly. Or maybe we feel like we're irritating God. I mean, like a child coming up, dad, 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 dad. That's what Habakkuk is doing, right? How long, God, I've been asking you again and again. Or we don't want to whine or moan or 
Maybe we try to be brave. I can handle this. I'm tough. By faith. Yeah, but it is this heart cry, this opportunity to pour out before the Father God. Or maybe we try to reason things intellectually. Maybe you've wrestled with a problem of evil, the problem of pain. You've read all sorts of books, different philosophers. The Greek philosopher Epicurus, he, he said, he proclaimed that there was no God or the God that Christians follow is not the real God. Because what he argued, he said the real God that, or the God that Christians proclaim says he's all-knowing and all-powerful and perfectly loving and good. And if that's true, he argued that evil can't exist. But he looks around and he sees evil. And he says, if, if God knows about evil, he'd stop it. Or if he was all-powerful, he'd stop it as well. If he was all-loving, he would have this desire to stop it. But then he went to proclaim there's just no God. But Habakkuk, he wrestled with these same questions, right? Is, is God all-knowing? Verse one, you don't listen to me. You don't listen to the words. All-powerful. Is God all-powerful? Verse two says, you don't save. Or God, are you all-loving? Verse three, you tolerate wrongdoing. But Habakkuk, he came to a different conclusion than many philosophers previous and of our time. He said, yet I will. At the end of this, we're gonna see, yet I will. And he decided to resolve on faith and trust. And what he did in this short book is he tried to understand the relationship between evil, human suffering, and divine justice. And the word that gets used is theodicy. And essentially what theodicy means is it means the vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. So what theodicy is trying to do is, is saying, okay, Yep, God is good. He is one who provides, but yet there's evil. And there's all sorts of different theodicies, variations of it, but I just wanna give you three very briefly here today. First is Augustinian theodicy, saying that evil is not rooted in God, so therefore God is not guilty of evil. Rather, it's rooted in human sinfulness. Because of sin, because of free will, because of the fall, that's why there's evil. So God is still good. Humans, they made their choice. They're bad. So suffering is human's fault. And all we have to do is confess. So lament is not needed. So that's the, the resolve with Augustinian theodicy. The suffering God theodicy says that, that God drew close through Jesus, that Jesus enters our suffering, that Jesus is with us in our suffering, that he is redemptively overcoming suffering by suffering with us. And instead of lamenting or really calling out and saying what the lament is, is that we just need to rest in the presence of Jesus. Or there's the, the Barth theodicy, which he says, evil, sin, death, devil, demons are summarized into nothingness is what he calls it. And that's the way God sees it as nothingness and that he overcame it with Jesus. And these nothingness things are powerless and so for now, these things are active in our world, but in the scope of time, they're powerless because of Jesus. So all we have to do is just wait. Now, there's truth in all of those. Yes, we should confess. Yes, we should trust and rest. And yes, we should wait. 
But if we lean into these things and we just justify it with a theodicy, then we're like, well, I shouldn't lament because then it's complaining. I'm not confessing enough. I'm not waiting enough. I'm not resting enough. It puts it on me instead of on God, who's all sufficient, who's all loving, who is good, who is the one that holds it all. We talk about different things like resiliency, which is a great reality to have. In short, resiliency is the capacity to withstand or recover from difficulty quickly. We talk about having children who are resilient and teens who are resilient and adults who are resilient in the face of suffering. And this is a great and important thing, and Scripture speaks to this again and again and again. But part of this resiliency is lament being honest about what we're seeing and experiencing like Habakkuk. And consider just briefly a number of verses about suffering and resilience and this dependence on God. Isaiah 40 says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Or James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Or Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Or 2 Corinthians 4, we are hard-pressed on every side, not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, or destroyed. Or Philippians 3.14 says this, I, I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so what we can do is with all those verses, we can just go head on like, ah, trust in me. Or we can surrender and rest and lament before God. This is what I'm seeing, God. This is what I'm experiencing. And this is, I'm crying out to you for this resolve. I don't know how it's gonna be resolved or if it'll ever be resolved or I don't know if I'll ever understand, but this is what it is. And God, I trust you in this, in this season, in this moment, whatever it may be, I trust you. And I'm keeping with you and I'm walking with you. Earlier this summer, Joanna and I, we traveled to North Carolina and I officiated a wedding and it was a hot and humid weekend, like just nasty, right? And the day after the wedding, we decided we wanted to go for a hike. And I looked around the area, didn't want to travel too far and we found Hanging Rock State Park. And so we drove there and it's just this beautiful setting. And one of the trails was 1.3 miles and it was marked moderate. I'm like, yeah, that's easy. And so we started off this beautiful walk through this wooded area, and it started off on a paved path, and then it went to a smooth dirt path, and then it started to get a little uneven, and then we started to get this really rocky um, path there and some steep hills in between some trees, and then it got to these larger rock formations that you kind of had to climb up on. And as we're going along, hot and tired, and realizing we didn't bring enough water or proper shoes. I mean, there's plenty of times where I'm like, okay, we have to almost be there. And we turn a bend and we weren't almost there. 
would continue to come along. We'd see people coming down the mountain, some who were just drenched in sweat and celebrating, you know, the view, and others we could hear being like, ah, we just quit. We're not going that far. Coming back down. I was just thinking about this. How long? I kept thinking, it's going to be worth it. I know it's going to be worth it. I've seen the pictures. It's going to be worth it. And I could have left there just being like, I saw the pictures. But we finally reached the top. And as we stopped, these amazing views, seeing for miles and these mountain ranges in the distance and just being so far up. And I mean, there's little dots. These are people out here on this rock going out on this hanging rock and just sitting and resting. It's nothing that a picture can describe. It's nothing that someone else could describe to me. And part of that beauty and part of being there was that journey there. And realizing that we could have given up at any point. That we could have been satisfied, hey, we made an effort. We'll look at the pictures. We'll hear stories from others. But just sitting and resting, knowing that it was worth it. See, life is not easy. It is not just a smooth path. It is not up and to the right. There's many moments with questions, many seasons with questions. You throw faith in there and you have questions as well. But God is with us, God is with you, and God has given us tools for the journey. And these tools, these opportunities are for us to be formed. Not just experience the highs, but experience the lows, knowing that God is with us. Lament is a key element to spiritual formation. Glenn Packiam, he, he said there's really a few different elements of lament that are important. And the first one is, is that lament is proof of relationship with God. There's trust built into a lament. Habakkuk knew he could go to God. He knew there was relationship there. He knew there was trust. I mean, he said some pretty raw things. There's proof of this relationship. And Aubrey and Evan, my two kids, they, they come to Joanna and I when they need things. Also when they want things. But they, they come because there's relationship. Now, if your kid comes to me, I may, you know, uh, may help them for whatever they need. But if it's a big ask, I'm going to be like, where's your mom and dad, right? Like, they should, they should be the one. There's that relationship that's there. See, my kids are not a burden to me. Deep down, it, it is a joy to be able to help them with whatever it is. And I'm having more and more perspective as my oldest is, is making it almost halfway through high school, realizing that the season is shorter and shorter. And so it's more of a joy to give her a ride somewhere or to spend time with her, whatever it may be. It's a joy. On the flip side, Russell Moore, he talks about a time he and his wife were going to adopt. They went to Russia and they went to an orphanage and they walked into the nursery where there were many babies. And he said it was just eerily silent. And he asked, why are none of the babies crying? And what he discovered really is painful is that they had cried out and cried out and cried out, but no one responded to them. So they just 
quit crying out. There's no relationship. They were left. See, lament is a proof of a relationship with God. Of We cry out, we cry out. And we trust and we wait for a God that loves us. And it may not be lights in the sky or like big writing on a wall that God responds, but there is a response through his word and through worship and a peace and a stillness and, and, and God doing things, which I'm gonna get to a little bit more of that in this just a moment here of this relationship. The second thing is, he says it's a pathway to intimacy with God. Again, there's an intimacy when my kids ask me for something or I ask Joanna for something, or whatever it is, is there's a dependence, there's a, a relationship that's formed because there's that trust and that vulnerability. When you ask someone for something, it is a vulnerable situation. So when we put our pain or our suffering before God, we're just saying, God, it's you that can answer. I can try to solve this situation with my power, my ability, my intellect, but God, it's you that I need. And there's this intimacy as we open ourselves up to that trust. The third thing is we pray for God to act in lament. Lament is prayer for God to act. And so when we pray lament, we are actually clear about what we're lamenting. I've reflected on this a lot recently, is that when I pray, if God answered that prayer that day or that week or that month, would I know that it was the prayer that was answered or just something happened? What I mean by this is like, do I just pray of, God, please bless this day, um, guide me today, help me stay safe, um, Lord, help me to love and uh, experience your love. I mean, generic, right? Wide open. How would I know that God clearly answered those prayers or I just had a good day or people were just nice to me? I don't really know. When we lament, we're saying, this is the situation. This is the hardship. This is what it is. God, I don't know what to do with this. Only you can fix this reality. Only you can work in this. God, trust me. I'm praying very clearly that God would act in a certain way. And then four, participation. Lament is participation in the pain of others. It's, yeah, it's stuff that's impacting me. But I'm looking around. How is this hardship or reality impacting my home or my neighborhood or my city or my country or the world, whatever it may be, and that I enter the pain of others. It's like, God, I, I, see, I see the mental health crisis in our world and it breaks my heart. That I, God, in this situation or in this situation, God, would you act in a mighty way? And I enter that pain with others, I see that pain. I'm lamenting for God to do something far beyond what I can do. So how do we lament? These are elements of, of that lament. How do we lament? First, we direct our conversation to God. The word says, Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. So we direct our conversation to God. God's the one who answers. And in that conversation, we describe the suffering and pain to him. Not in generalities, but we describe it. Yes, God knows it, but there's something powerful about you articulating it. There's something powerful about me saying it. We describe what that situation is. The third thing is we depend on Christ as our hope and our help. 
So we point our conversation to God and lament. We describe it, and then we depend that you, Christ, are our hope and our help. Because I'm tempted to go try to fix it. Okay, I prayed on it. Now I'm going to go fix it. God, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. We're going to get to a point here in Habakkuk where he's going to say, I'm just going to, I'm going I'm to wait. I'm going to station myself and watch for you. We're impatient. I'm impatient. And then fourth, we dwell on God's faithfulness. Lament resolves in trust. Lament resolves in faith. That God, I trust you. This is the reality. I'm leaning into you. Trust me. Trust me. Jesus said these words in John 16. He's telling his disciples, he said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus said, he's the one that is peace. Promises us trouble. But he says, take heart. He's overcome the world. So what we're going to do in our remaining time together, we are going to lament. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to pray. You're going to reflect. And I encourage you to do these things to direct your conversation to God, to describe your suffering, to depend on Christ, and to dwell in his faithfulness. And so just in the next few minutes, would you take some time, whatever that situation or reality, whether it's close to you or far away from you, that you would take a moment and lament, that you would do these things. And then we'll lead us through a time of lament and worship together.